Thanks so much for joining us for another edition of The Field from KAWC. I'm Lisa Sturgis. Election Day is now less than two weeks away, and the last-minute push to persuade voters is underway. Here in Yuma, but I've been in Prescott, Cholo, Flagstaff, Tuba City, Phoenix, Tucson. Today, we sit down with Senator Mark Kelly to find out what he's hearing from his constituents as he crisscrosses the state. Plus, State School Superintendent Kathy Hoffman joins us to talk about some of the exciting programs she's seeing in South County schools. And Yuma County's Election Director Tiffany Anderson's here with advice on casting your ballot as we head into the home stretch. But first, a look at the top news from the campaign trail. Cochise County wants to count all its ballots by hand. The County Board of Supervisors voted this week to adopt the process and bypass machine count. It passed along party lines with a lone Democrat dissenting. The decision opens the county to lawsuits and a loss of state funding. Opponents of the hand count point to the additional time and expense of completing the process manually. They also wonder who's going to pay for it. The Cochise County attorney opposed the action, saying it was illegal, but the board moved forward in spite of his warnings. The county is waiting for a judge's ruling to see if it can proceed with its plans. The battle over ballot box monitoring goes on. Three groups have asked a federal court judge to order conservative group Clean Elections USA to stop watching ballot drop boxes, saying volunteers are intimidating voters and violating their rights. But attorneys for the organization say a restraining order like the one sought by the Arizona Alliance for Retired Americans, Voto Latino, and the League of Women Voters would actually violate its rights. The Arizona Citizens Clean Election Commission previously raised objections to the group's name, saying the similarities could cause voter confusion. A new campaign ad paid for by the Yuma Republican Party in support of GOP gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake is raising eyebrows and attracting criticism. Take a listen. I'm a husband and father of five. I also run a small business in Phoenix. My family and employees are overwhelmed by the rising costs of groceries and gas. And that's why I won't support... The ad features a man who claims to be an average Arizona businessman and father of five. He talks about why Democrat Katie Hobbs is, quote, too liberal to be governor. ...pose a new county gas tax on top of the state tax. Katie Hobbs is too liberal to be governor. But in a recent article, Mother Jones reveals that man, Justin Erickson, is an ultra-conservative pastor who espouses anti-LGBTQ and anti-Islamic rhetoric. On his church website, Erickson also promotes the idea that women should be submissive to men, particularly to their husbands. The Republican Governors Association produced the spot. It's headed by Arizona Governor Doug Ducey. Neither the association nor the Yuma GOP have commented on the ad or the response to it. And Hobbs Phoenix campaign office has been burglarized. The campaign says police now have surveillance video of the suspect, but no arrests have been made yet. No word on what was taken, but a spokesperson for Hobbs says the break-in follows dozens of death threats. 
U.S. Senator Mark Kelly's a busy man. Kelly, a former fighter pilot and astronaut, has spent the past few weeks flying himself across the state in a small plane as he campaigns for re-election. Earlier this week, he touched down in Yuma to check in on volunteers and rally supporters. Let's listen to part of his speech. It has really been kind of the honor of my life of public service uh, to represent Arizona in the United States Senate. And by the way, in John McCain's Senate seat. That's a big deal for me. I mean, here's a guy I looked up to from the time I was first in the Navy, you know, in flight school in uh, Corpus Christi and then Beeville, Texas in 1986. I really looked up to Senator McCain. And to be able to sit at his desk every day when I'm in Washington, big deal for me. This job shouldn't be about us. It's about public service and trying to make the best decisions possible for our country, and in my case, for the state of Arizona. But here down in Yuma, San Luis Port of Entry, we're gonna upgrade that. So we're gonna rebuild the Port of Entry here. Something I've worked on since my first day in the United States Senate. And this is not only good for Yuma County, this is good for our entire state, it's good for the entire Southwest, it's really good for the country. These ports of entry generate a substantial amount of revenue, and the Arizona economy will, will grow when we upgrade our ports of entry. Afterwards, we sat down with the senator to discuss what he's learning while on the road in Arizona and what he's working on in Washington. What's the overriding feeling that you have when you're circling the state, when you're talking to Arizonans about the issues that matter to them? What's What strikes you the most in your heart of hearts? I think it's, you know, how much folks are struggling with rising costs for things like gasoline and food. And, you know, if somebody bought a used car in the last year and a half, it's uh, inflation really has a real outsized impact on them. Um, so I've been working to address these rising costs. Uh, when when gasoline prices started to go up and the White House wasn't doing anything about it, I told the president that he needs to release petroleum from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve uh, and increase oil and gas leasing, specifically in the Gulf of Mexico. They've done that. We also added that into legislation to compel uh, the federal government to do that. We're, we still have an issue with the oil and gas companies that aren't taking advantage of all the lease opportunities they have to do more exploration and development and production of crude oil to bring down the price of gas. Uh, but, you know, similar things on, you know, issues with regards to food and other costs. It's something myself and my office have been very focused on because I know it's hard for people. I was, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, um, my parents were both police officers. But before my mother was a cop, I remember they struggled financially at times. And um, so I, you know, I, I do understand what folks are going through. Kelly was elected in November of 2020 to fill out the remainder of the late Senator John McCain's term. He's now running to serve a full six years. The senator says he's proud of all that's been accomplished during his short time in office. 22 months, we passed this bipartisan infrastructure bill, which I was able to get $8 billion for Western water infrastructure added to that legislation, which is going to have a big positive impact on Yuma 
County. Um, beyond that, the, the CHIPS Act, which was my legislation, the CHIPS part of the CHIPS and Science Act. And, you know, that legislation is going to result in tens of thousands of really good paying jobs that do not require a four-year degree here in the state of Arizona. He says he's particularly pleased with the progress made on a key expansion project in Yuma South County. He says it will ultimately benefit not only Yuma, but the whole of Arizona and the entire country. We got the uh, ports, ports of entry. We got that money in there to upgrade the San Luis Port of Entry. But also, I've you know fought for and got another billion dollars so Border Patrol and DHS can add more technology to the border, uh, can hire more Border Patrol agents. I have legislation right now to increase Border Patrol pay by 17 percent. The $115 million port expansion project will add more lanes for both foot and motor vehicle traffic and is expected to expedite crossing during the busy agricultural season. Senator Kelly tells us he's also been pushing the Department of Homeland Security to permanently close the gaps in the border wall in South Yuma County. I finally, it took me a while to do this, but I got DHS and the White House to close some of the gaps in the wall, you know, south of Yuma, because when I came down here the first time and Border Patrol showed me, you know, the operational situation here, I was like, well, this has to be fixed. And they're going to start construction on that, like, relatively yes, soon. So there's two contracts. One of them's already been let, the other one soon, and they'll start construction and it'll be, you know, my my goal is that it's like a permanent solution. Kelly faces Trump-endorsed Blake Masters in the general election. To hear our latest discussion with Masters, just go to the Field podcast page at kawc.org. Welcome back to The Field from KAWC. I'm Lisa Sturgis. Recent tweets from Democrat Kathy Hoffman's opponent in the race for Arizona Superintendent of Public Instruction blame her for a drop in test scores. Now, a prominent fact-checking website operated by the Pointer Institute calls out Tom Horn for significant lack of context in his campaign message. Horn served as superintendent a decade ago. He says Hoffman caused the dip in scores the state's seen in the interim. But PolitiFact notes Hoffman only took over 14 months before the pandemic. It also points out student test scores dropped nationwide during the quarantine. We asked Hoffman about those accusations, about her vision for the future of education in Arizona, and about what the state could learn from South County schools. Some of the criticism has been around looking at Arizona's test scores, and the assessment that we give today is actually much more rigorous than it was 10 to 20 years ago. Um, so now the students um, actually have made steady growth academically, and we know that by looking at the national assessment that's given to our students, and Arizona has been making steady growth over the past decade. And But, but because of the pandemic, there was nationally a significant decline in reading and math. And actually, Arizona has been able to hold steady in reading over the past two years, despite the pandemic. But we did see a decline in math that was more consistent with what we saw nationally. So I, I confront those issues head on. We know that the pandemic had 
a huge impact on our teachers and students and families. And so we know that we need to take this issue head on and really make sure we're investing our, our state and federal funds strategically to support our teachers, to support students, to make sure they have the resources in the classroom, the technology they need, the high quality of instruction that every child deserves. I recently visited schools in the Yuma area, including the Gadsden Elementary School District and popped over to San Luis High School. And they have phenomenal programs like at the high school, they have an engineering program where one of the Students showed me his robotics pr project that had won sixth place at nationals last year. So our students are accomplishing and achieving amazing things, but we need to make sure they have the resources to be successful. Arizona does continue to rank near the bottom of all the states for student spending. Um, Correct. What's your take? Will the voucher program um, help or hinder that? Ultimately, it will hinder that. So the universal voucher expansion that was just passed by our legislature is ultimately directing hundreds of millions of dollars of our state tax dollars towards private schools and, and homeschooling. And there's no accountability for how those students are doing. There, There's no requirement for them to take any state assessment. So to me, it's like the black hole of our state funding for for these programs. I think they need to be, if they're receiving state tax funds, they should be held to the same standards and their students should be taking the same state assessments to ensure that they're achieving at the same, um, you know, achieving and have career and, and post-secondary success like all kids. But many parents who have their children enrolled in parochial and private schools say their kids are getting a better quality of education there than they're getting in the public school. If you operate on that theory, the voucher program is basically $7,000 a year. Does that cover a year of private school tuition? It probably depends on the school. Um, so there, for many private schools, that might be closer to half of what an annual tuition would be for a student. But I think that it's one thing to anecdotally say that kids are doing fine in private schools. And it's a different thing to say, then let's, let's see the results. Let's see the let's have them take the same assessment so that we know how these kids are doing. And, and also when um, private schools are not required to hire certified teachers. And so these are, you know, oftentimes teachers who have not gone through the same high quality teacher preparation programs, teachers who have their degrees in education or their master's in education. So I, I think we, we just need to make sure that all kids are receiving a very high level of quality of instruction and education. That's why I'm so focused on teacher recruitment and retention to make sure that, that we're addressing the teacher shortages across the state. Which was exactly my next question. You must be psychic. Um, <laughs> the state does continue to um, experience teacher shortages. Do you see that as a function of what we're paying our teachers? And what can the state do to attract new, qualified, young, excited teachers? Yes, I do think pay is, needs to be addressed because Arizona continues to rank lowest nationally for teacher pay. And, and our kids are very aware of that. They see large classroom sizes in their schools. They hear from teachers about the workload. And so then the profession is less appealing to them. So we absolutely need to ensure that teachers are earning competitive pay and have also have good benefits like healthcare benefits to support their families and make sure that they can afford housing in, in their local communities. So all of that needs to be addressed, but we're 
Um, one of my proud achievements has been working with NAU to create Arizona's first teacher residency program. And um, we have plans to scale this up in the years to come, but this is creating a new pipeline for teachers that is modeled after a medical residency type of program. Assuming you win re-election, what would you be your primary goal for the K-12 system moving forward? In addition to addressing the teacher recruitment and retention issues, um, you know, when I was recently visiting the, the Gadsden Elementary School District, one of um, one of the programs I saw was their preschool program that was phenomenal, and they had amazing full classrooms of preschool kids, including kids with disabilities. And But I asked the preschool director, do you have a wait list? And I asked this all around the state because every single time I ask this, the answer is yes. So just in the Gadsden Elementary School District, that one preschool program, they have a wait list of over 100 kids. So that's parents and families that are requesting to have their little ones enrolled in school but do not have access to those programs. And I am also a mom. My daughter is almost one years old. And so this is an issue close to my heart. I'm also a former preschool teacher. So I am very passionate about also expanding preschool opportunities and ultimately would love to have universal preschool access for all kids in Arizona. Because it's expensive. Yes. For families, you mean the tuition? Yes. For preschool. It can be if you don't have have access to a program like that. Exactly. And, And we should take away those barriers. We should make it open and accessible for all kids, for all families. Um, I think it's an economic issue and it, we know it pays dividends for how kids do later in life when they're in learning their reading and math and academics as they go into elementary school, high school and beyond. We know that investing in preschool in those early years pays dividends. The South County of Yuma, um, Gadsden Elementary School, I've heard, I hear nothing but, but wonderful things about the programs they have operating down there. Yes, I absolutely love visiting classrooms all over the state. I've visited schools in all 15 counties. And, you know, as a former teacher and uh, as a mom, I'm very passionate about continuing this work, leaving the Department of Education. And, you know, this is not a political stepping stone for me. I'm in it because this is my passion of serving and advocating for our public schools and ensuring that our teachers and kids all across the state have the resources, the phenomenal programs, just like the ones I've seen in the Yuma area. School Superintendent Kathy Hoffman, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. That was Arizona Superintendent of Public Instruction, Kathy Hoffman. As I mentioned, her opponent, Tom Horn, is a former state school superintendent. He's also served as Arizona Attorney General. We have invited Mr. Horn to appear on the show. We're waiting on his response. You're listening to The Field from KAWC. I'm Lisa Sturgis. Thanks for sticking around. 
Early voting is underway, and it looks like lots of Arizonans from all the parties are exercising their rights and raising their voices at the ballot box. New reporting from the Arizona Republic shows nearly 400,000 ballots have already been cast so far. Analysis shows most of the ballots already voted came from Democrats. They have an early lead in 7 out of 13 counties, including Maricopa and Pima. The GOP is seeing an advantage in the eight remaining counties, most of them rural. That includes Yuma and La Paz. Republicans lead the way in most requested mail-in ballots, although it looks like many have not yet been returned. So far, the early voting process appears to be going smoothly here in Yuma. We checked in with Yuma County Elections Director Tiffany Anderson for a progress report and for some important information on those hoping to beat the lines on Election Day. Tiffany Anderson, Yuma County Election Director, here to give us the skinny on what we need to know as we get closer and closer to Election Day. Tiffany, thanks for your time. I bet you're busy right now. Yes, thank you so much for having me back. As you know, the general election is in full swing here in Yuma County. Um, We have early voting going on right now. How is it going? It's going great. We've had a steady stream of individuals coming to vote early in person at our office at 102 South Main Street downtown, as well as a pretty steady stream of early ballots being returned via our Dropbox, secure ballot drop boxes, and in the mail. Is it a little more of a turnout than you usually see in the midterm? Because I know the midterms tend to be a little less attended than the presidential contests. Turnout in a midterm general tends to be in the mid 40% for Yuma County. I would say it's a little too early to tell what that turnout looks like. But as I mentioned, we've had a pretty steady stream of folks already voting um, and returning those early ballots early, which which we love. (laughs) And just to remind folks, Tiffany told you you can go to the recorder's office on Main Street, but there also are ballot drop boxes at Yuma County Libraries. That's correct. So you can vote early in person at our office all the way through Friday, November 4th is that last day to vote early in person. And that's Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., If you're dropping off your early ballot, you can do so in our office or at any of the six Dropbox locations around the county. Um, The Board of Supervisors decided to have those moved back outside. And so our Dropboxes at our office downtown at the Foothills, Maine, Welton, Somerton, and San Luis libraries are all available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just make sure you get that early ballot returned to us no later than 7 p.m. on election night, which is Tuesday, November 8th. That was Yuma County Elections Director Tiffany Anderson. To recap, early in-person voting ends at 5 p.m. on November 5th, but ballot drop boxes will remain in place through election day.
when we next meet, we'll be just days away from that election. So, of course, we'll have the latest news from the campaign trail, plus a review of the ballot initiatives facing voters and some analysis on the last-minute polls. The Field is a production of KAWC, Colorado River Public Media. Send your questions or comments to me, lisa.sturgis at kawc.org, or follow me on Facebook at Lisa Sturgis, KAWC. Our theme music was composed by Steve Hennigan, performed by members of the Human Jazz Company. For more information, visit humanjazz.com. Thanks so much for listening to The Field from KAWC. Remember, you can always hear the show at kawc.org, on the KAWC app, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Lisa Sturgis. I hope you'll be back again next week. Till then, keep yourself informed.